Good morning, Grace Valley. It's good to be here, and thank you for sharing the pulpit, uh, Pastor Paul. Wow, you have a balcony pretty full. I'll have to remember to look up to you guys and uh, say hello. Greetings in the name of the Lord from our brothers and sisters in South Africa. They pray for you as well, uh, because they know that Canada has its own challenges, just as they have their own challenges. And this is a great joy in serving internationally because we realize that the Lord has given gifts to different parts of his body and that we actually all need each other. I sometimes say to our brothers and sisters in South Africa, do you know you need the people in South Korea because they know how to keep God up at night because they bang on his door all night long on their all night prayer meetings. And do you know that the people from South Korea, they need the brothers and sisters from Brazil, etc., etc. And God has this ingenious design that all of us need all parts of the body worldwide. So when you hear about brothers and sisters there, don't look at them like, oh, those are impoverished people that we need to go and save. We can learn from them. Living on the African continent, I think we've learned how to both suffer and how to pray, because they know how to do that. And in a culture here in Canada, as Francis Schaeffer said, personal peace and affluence is almost everything. We have something to learn from them. On the other hand, we have a rich, in the Reformed tradition, we have a rich heritage of Bible interpretation. A very, very rich heritage. Never disparage that. And so today we're going to look at what I've entitled Joshua's Famous Last Words. And those of you who know the book say, ha, you're wrong. There's another chapter after 23, and you're absolutely right. But these are his famous last words to the leaders. And I think they give us lessons also for today. So a long time passed, and the Lord gave the people rest. In some way, they had come into their possession of the land. Maybe Grace Valley has come into possession of its building. And maybe the Lord now has given Grace Valley rest in the search for a building. But it's not over. And Joshua shows that. Those of you who've been listening to this passage today probably realize that there was a repeated line over and over again in the passage. This is what we teach our students in biblical interpretation. Not, oh, you need to have a Hebrew degree before you can slice and dice this passage. What was the words that came over and over and over again in this passage? The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. Isn't that also the message of a baptism? The Lord, your God. This is a rich, rich phrase in this passage. I think it's probably read, said 15 times. It's Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, who is your God, he says to Israel. Your personal God. It's not, this is one of those gods out there who might be your master. This is the covenant-keeping God who is our Lord. Did you hear that in the prayer? 
as our brother prayed, our God. We can't take that for granted. And it's easy to take it for granted if you've been in the pew for a while. The Lord Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, our God. Compare this to Islam. God, your master, your Lord, your despot. This is exactly reversed. Yahweh, your God. Joshua summoned all Israel and he said to them, I'm old. You yourselves have seen. They are eyewitnesses. Was this ceremony not something of being eyewitnesses of what God has done? God is doing and what God will do? We are eyewitnesses to the fact. It has God, you have seen everything that the Lord, your God, has done to these nations for your sake. It was the Lord, your God, it's repetitive, who fought for you. God is a man of war. The Israelites did not have much claim to fame for gaining the promised land. Sure, they went to Jericho. Wow, it looked like a slam dunk. Next breath, they go to Ai or Ai. They don't even consult God. Bam, they're down again. And the whole book of Joshua goes like this. Remember how I have allotted to you as an inheritance all the tribes, etc. The Lord, your God, verse 5, himself will push them out for you. This is what we celebrate at Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit, just as Mark was saying, is the power of the Holy Spirit to do this work. Isn't that fantastic? It's not all about us. It's that spirit power that enables us to be witnesses towards the end of the earth. And now what he says, he gives a number of positive and then negative commands. The first one is, be strong. This was exactly what the Lord had said to Joshua in chapter 1. Be strong. Why would you be told to be strong? Probably because your default position is to be weak. Just as our default position is probably not to trust in the Lord. And the culture around us, of course, is saying all the time, trust in yourself, right? Trust in yourself. You've got it. I see that on movies now. You've got it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not here to preach that today. You've got it, Dundas, Grace Valley. Maybe you haven't, but you need it. <laughs> that is the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, be very strong. Then he says, be careful. Why would he say, be careful? Obviously, it's an antidote to being careless. And we've already seen this in the book of Joshua, where they said, well, we're not going to inquire of the Lord. We're going to go and fight this because we've got it. And the Lord shamed them because they didn't have it. Be careful to obey all that is written without turning aside to the left or to the right. Not long ago, I wrote an article called, Who is the Affirming Jesus? This is exactly a turning to the left 
or turning to the right. That is to say, we create a Jesus in our own image who will affirm whatever we want. This is turning to the left or to the right. Because Jesus, by definition, is the one who calls the shots and he says, this is the way, this is a straight path. And here, in a very clever way, churches now say, well, Jesus, the loving one, the tolerant one, he would never pre prevent me or pre prevent us from doing this or that. And usually this or that is something that we in our flesh want. And you can imagine what that might be. Then he says, and here are the negative commands in verse 7. Do not associate with those nations that remain among you. These nations around them, the Canaanites, they were a highly sexualized group of people. If you go to Israel, you can see some of the figurines, you can see some of what they worshipped. It was a very highly sexualized group. What do we have around us? Isn't it going that way? And he said, don't associate with them. Now, that doesn't mean that we snub our nose at our neighbors in their lostness. No, we love them. But he's saying, don't take on their values. Then he says, don't invoke the names of their gods. Because, of course, that was showing allegiance to their gods. And it wasn't long before Israel did exactly that. Gideon's father... He had an altar to Baal, Baal the storm god, who had supposedly relations with one of the other goddesses. And he said, don't swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. You know, we cringe at these don't do this type of things, right? We cringe at that. Don't tell me what I can't do. I'm a self-made man or woman. I am the master of the destiny, my destiny. Don't tell me. But here it says, do not, do not, do not, do not. But then he says, this is the antidote. But you are to hold fast, verse 8. And this is the word for cling. You know where the word cling comes, right? A man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. But you are to cling to the Lord your God. In another place in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when a craftsman was said to be making an idol, he solders things together. And that word for solder, or join together with heat and flux, whatever you do, and soldering paste or whatever stuff you do, you guys know it better than me, that joins the pieces together. And he says here, this is the antidote for all of this stuff, you need to be soldered to the Lord your God. And of course, the challenge for Grace Valley and the challenge for the body of Christ now, as our culture increasingly puts pressure on us in a very seductive way, this is not Egypt where maybe you have a gun put to your head because you're a Christian, here, the devil uses more seductive means. Ah, if you do this, if you buy this, if you have this, 
If you become more and more autonomous and you don't need God, he'll draw you away. And he says, you need to be soldered or hold, held fast to the Lord your God. Now look what he does in verse 9. He's recounting the deeds that God has done. And in some way, a baptism today is actually that. It's a recounting of God's faithfulness, right? When I teach theology, I say this, these are visible words, right? It's show and tell. God makes it kind of simple for us. It's show and tell, right? We show the water and then Pastor Paul tells what this actually means. And now what he's doing, he's saying, I'm going to recount what, who, I'm going to recount the account of someone who is named the Lord, your God. You got it? The Lord, your God. That's all you'll remember today. That's good. He has driven out powerful nations. This is God who's done it. No one has been able to withstand you. This is God who's done it. One of you routes a thousand. This is God who's done it. Because the Lord your God fights for you. This is him who did it. Just as baptism says, this is a celebration of what he did. Then he says in verse 11, So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Obviously anticipating their carelessness. And unfortunately, Israel's pattern was carelessness. Now, you say, okay, this is great. Let's just stop the sermon here. But Joshua goes on and he said, this very God who has a great covenant relationship with you and who does everything he promises... He will also make good on all his threats. And in a health and wealth type of sermon, no one would preach the rest of this. You'd say, God's going to make good on his threats. Yes. And that's a part we don't like to hear too much. He says, but if you turn away, and he uses the word literally, cling. The same word cling, ally, ally is what the word he is translated in um, the NIV here. But he says, if you cling, if you solder yourself, if you hold fast, if you endear yourself to the survivors of these nations and you intermarry with them and associate them, then you can be sure. And here's the threat. God will no longer drive out the nations before you. They will become snares and whips for you. Whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Wow, Joshua, do you have to be so harsh? You know, can't you just preach a farewell sermon of, you know, yeah, guys, you are great. Israel, you are good. Yeah, you've got this. He's going, be careful. He says, now I'm about to go to the way of the whole earth. You know with your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises that the Lord has given you has failed. Wow. 
I once learned a song. You've never given a reason to doubt you. Do we believe it? Do we truly believe it? Because every breakage of every one of the Ten Commandments essentially is a statement of unbelief. I steal because I don't believe God will provide for me. I commit adultery because I don't believe that God will meet my most intimate needs. I, I covet my neighbor's everythings because I don't believe he has my best interest in mind. In the Christian church, sometimes our root issue is unbelief. We're not all going out and doing flagrant sins. You know, you don't have any axe murderers here, probably. <laughs> Maybe you do, but I don't know about it. Uh, but we have these more subtle sins, that sin of unbelief. And Joshua is saying, be careful. Be careful for unbelief. Just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised have come to you, he will bring on you all the evil things he has promised. Wow. If you violate, he says, then this. And you will perish from the good land he gave you. Wow, what a sobering talk that Joshua has given. So what do we do with this? I think for the leadership here in Grace Valley too, you have to think, okay, what's this church going to look like 40 years from now when Pastor Paul will probably be 85 and probably, uh, maybe, I don't know how old he is, 85 and maybe retired? What will it look like? How are we going to stay the course? Because as was prayed today, the course is probably going to become increasingly hard. In South Africa, there was just a law passed about hate speech. Guess what? If I preach in South Africa from Leviticus about God's standards for marriage, that's going to be deemed hate speech. Do you think Canada is anywhere behind? Probably not. So what is the temptation for me as a preacher to cave? Very high, especially if I like my pension, and if I like this, and if I like my comforts. How are we going to stay the course? May God give us the strength to stay the course and be faithful to him. Because he is the Lord. Lord. Amen. Do we pray now? Father, we thank you for this Pentecost Sunday because we know that without your power to stay the course, we would be just as lost as Israel. And we thank you for the words of Joshua, whose name means the Lord is salvation, who points us to Jesus, who is salvation. May we follow him wholeheartedly. In your name we pray. Amen.